Dun, 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 dun. That's and we're, and we're here. <laughs> That's the intro? No, whatever it will be. Well, so we're just getting started. This is the Strength Ratio Podcast 1. Number one, whether we change the name of the podcast, that's to be determined, but we're going to stick with, it's the Strength Ratio Podcast, and this is podcast number one. I'm Zachary Greenwald, joined with my business partner and training partner and life friend, Kyle Klachenko. Did you say that wrong on purpose? Yep. <laughs> you know, um, Courtney had your name wrong in her phone for two years, Kyle yeah, Klachenko. I know. <laughs> And we also have... You have to introduce yourself. That's oh. Kyle Klachenko. Well, I'm Kyle Klachenko. Um, happy to be on the podcast. Everything that Zach said about me, I say about him. <laughs> and who else is on the other line? Uh, Dr. Eric Soboleski. I'm coming out with the doctor. Uh, doctor. I got to sound professional for the first podcast. <laughs> so, um, Dr. Soboleski. If you're familiar with strength ratio, and uh, if you're familiar with strength ratio, you have probably seen Kyle's face on the social medias. Uh, you may have also seen Becca Lee's. Becca is another uh, head coach and owner of strength ratio. She is not with us today, but will be on future podcasts. Um, so there will be four of us that you can expect to hear from. Today, we're going to dive into uh, who we are, what we do, and who this podcast is for. Why we've uh, why we've created this podcast, um, but let's just start off by introducing Eric a little bit more. Uh, Eric Sobolisky and I met when he was a graduate student at the University of Chapel Hill, and I was an undergrad student. And he is now a full time lecturer, a full time father, and a husband to Olympic athlete Amanda Polk. So, Sobo, do you want to talk a little bit more about yourself and why we refer to you for all things uh, fact-checking science-related? Well, my higher education experience has spanned over 12 years, um, so I spent quite a few, few years being educated. Um, got my Ph.D. from the University of North Carolina where I met Zach. Um, actually, the technical diploma is human movement science, but I was a muscle physiologist did my PhD dissertation on um, creatine and its effect on muscle. Um, we actually developed a new MRI technique we kind of took from the brain scans and applied it to muscle and see if we could look at creatine in the muscle. So some nutrition with that as well. So muscle physiology, sports nutrition, um, sports physiology, human movement, uh, a little bit of biomechanics in there kind of have a, a dabble of all of all sports performance was a college strength conditioning coach for three years college athlete for another five so I've kind of been on all different scales of it um, so been around human performance for just about 16 years now yeah so you basically have the experience of someone who's been to a weekend seminar is what you're saying <laughs> two weekend seminars two seminars so um, uh, Eric, who we'll often refer to as Sobo or Dr. Swole, um, is someone we really refer to or really uh, reach out to to make sure that when we have uh, scientific considerations uh, of programming, of recovery, of anything performance-based, that it is up-to-date and it is sound. 
uh, we really try to pride ourselves. We do pride ourselves on being up to date on what is scientifically accurate and also combining that with our uh, actual experiences in the gym and in our coaching experiences. So if new research comes up, we'll be sharing that with you. If new things in our own practices and performance change, we would share that with you as well. But you're listening to a podcast where it's not going to be anything that's pseudoscience related. It's not going to be led by people who don't train themselves. But it's also a podcast that's not for the ultra elite. It's not for the 3% of people who want to go to the Olympics or learn how to maximize or optimize any one particular type of performance. It's a podcast to help you to help you sustain training and increase performance over time in the wisest, safest way possible. And I'll let Kyle just talk about the importance of sustainable training, why what you might be listening to, though intriguing and filled with exciting guests, uh, may actually be geared towards optimizing performance and you have to ask yourself honestly, do you want to optimize performance or do you want to make steady progress over time? So Kyle's just going to talk a little bit more about the sustainable training model and why it's important. Uh, well, first it's important because can't train if you hurt. So staying nice and healthy throughout long-term progress is definitely the number one goal uh, because it's just more training time and more time in the gym. Um and also, you just have to balance those kind of things with life, lifestyle as well. Uh, so making sure that you're fitting uh, training to your lifestyle, not your lifestyle to your training. Um, and then should we talk about kind of like the pyramid? Is that where you want to go in this? Yeah. So we have this uh, hierarchy of importance in terms of this model and how it might differ from other models of fitness. And you may have seen, and, and Kyle, just maybe go into a little bit more details of this if you imagine a pyramid where at the bottom you have what's most important and as you go up, it's of less importance though, important enough for uh, it to be included on our pyramid. Dive a, a little bit more into that. So we have a pyramid and pretty much in the, like if you were to think about something surrounding the pyramid would be fun and consistency. So making sure that training, you know, like you're having a good time in training because um, that also pairs with consistency, um, making sure you're getting in week to week, day to day year to year, because um, that's obviously going to lead to the best progress. Uh, and then from there, we have biomechanics. Um, did you want to say something there? Well, so biomechanics is somewhat arbitrary, right? Uh, we recently heard uh, Ed Helms talk about this. Uh, he says that there's no one correcting you in real life for how to pick up groceries or walk down the street. But these mechanics we create in the gym are such to avoid acute injury or to maximize your ability to produce force in a particular way, either for sport or for safety, or to perhaps target a specific muscle group. Uh, though those biomechanic considerations may vary based on your sport, based on injury status or history, but the foundation of the pyramid nonetheless is improving and ultimately mastering biomechanics that work for you over the long haul. Proper movement for the individual. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, we went to, what we say again? There's biomechanics, so, that's proper movement. Above and, biomechanics, we have, and you can tell that this is a new pyramid. 
Yeah. Kyle's not super fresh on it, but <laughs> will be soon. <laughs> it's a, that, that there's a plan. There's a flow that makes sense. There's a type of progression uh, in order. And I'll let Kyle start by talking about the importance of a periodized plan. And then Sobo may take over a little bit and talk about some misconceptions about a periodized plan, what that may look like for the general population and what that may look like for someone who is an elite athlete. So Kyle, maybe just a little bit more about why a plan is important. What does it prevent? Uh, well, I think actually the number one reason a plan is important is just because it's working towards a goal that you have. Um, and it allows you to pick, you know, it can go across exercise selection, the volume and intensity that you're using, the frequency that you're using, uh, all towards a certain goal. Uh, and it uh, just allows you to properly plan your training. Um, I don't know, so, but do you have anything else there you want to add? Did we lose? A pl- no, a plan is a, <laughs> it's a great roadmap. A lot of people who struggle with training, um, they kind of get training ADD, and you kind of go into a gym and you just kind of do whatever you can for the day. And a plan is a great way to keep you focused and on schedule more than anything. Even when we talk about elite CrossFitters and they say, you know, Rich Froning who just goes in the gym and does whatever he feels like, he still kind of has a plan, even though it doesn't come off like that. There's still a plan that Rich Froning follows. I know he used to follow, you know, some very stringent squats that he used to do. So we all we all need a plan because if you just go in and say, I'm going to do, you know, squats today and cleans and do some jerks, and then the next day you just do whatever, you never see any progress because there's never any true focus of your weight program. It also allows for safe and appropriate weight progressions, follow through on exercise selection. It allows the coach and athlete to see that if anything has stalled, where might that have occurred? If performance has improved dramatically, what might have actually led to the change that you're seeing in the gym? Whereas if it's completely randomized and not towards any type of goal, that doesn't have to be a competition, but a goal of some sort that is created earlier on in the program, you can track exactly where progress is made and potentially why it happened. So foundational biomechanics, a plan that leads an athlete towards his or her goals. And then above that, in this pyramid, we have recovery. So recovery has become a very interesting topic of late. There seems to be a lot of ways that can help improve your recovery, a lot of products that you can spend a lot of money on to help improve recovery. But Soba, what does the latest uh, research say about recovery and about all these new tools, about Normatec boots or TENS units or herbal supplements, etc.? So from a scientific background and kind of a a scientific eye, most of the recovery aids that you hear, unless they're founded in a scientifically proven mechanism, then you're probably going to buy a gimmick or follow a gimmick. A lot of this stuff that you read, um, unless it can prove it to you in a physiological manner, then most of them are just kind of, you know, fly by night things like, 
we there's some there's a little bit of research about compression garments and how they may work. Um, nothing really great. You ask how compression garments work, and the mechanisms quite aren't there. They say it applies just enough pressure to force fluid out of the cells, but not enough to restrict flow. Um, so, kind of hit and miss. And are your compression garments the ones that are too tight or not tight enough? Does a tens unit work? Well, does you know small neurological muscle contractions? Does that cause increase in recovery? Well, it does, but if you have it on for too long or too little or you don't have the right unit, you know, it's all kind of based on the exact right specifications of what may work and you know, whatever you picked up picked up online might not work. And then you talk about nutrition. Um, nutrition is probably the most sound, but once again, there's always going to be nutritional experts that give you wrong advice because it's it benefits them or it sounds fancy um you know we think about beet juice and how that's supposed to aid in performance and recovery and tart cherry juice and sometimes you got to weigh the the pros and cons of what it might take you know if, if you're an, a normal everyday person you're going to go spend five dollars on eight ounces of of tart cherry juice is that worth it or just eating a healthier diet be more beneficial so you got to be kind of aware of what is recovery what is optimal for you and what the you know the marketers are trying to sell you on what is recovery that's kind of what hopefully you'll get through our podcasts over the next few podcasts. and because the podcast will be fielding a lot of questions as you're confronted with uh, any seemingly strange information in the media or just general questions at least so far about technique more generally speaking just biomechanics in the gym about a plan or about recovery, you just send those questions our way so we can answer your specific questions because there is a lot to cover within each subcategory, but hopefully over time we'll create a clearer picture for how you can train uh, over the long haul, feel good, look good, and continue to improve over time in your, in your lifts or in any one particular or all uh, endurance type events. So if we backtrack a little bit, We've got biomechanics at the base of the pyramid. We want to make sure that someone's moving safely. They're moving specific to their goals. Above that, there is some type of plan. It's not completely randomized. Above that yet is recovery. And then even further beyond that, we have what we refer to as biofeedback, which could fall, generally speaking, into this category of autoregulation. It's not the most important topic, but we have it uh, in our pyramid, and we'll be diving into that on later shows. But what we're going to do is we're actually going to work back down the pyramid and talk about, or at least introduce, some considerations of biomechanics for those who are injured versus those who are elite. And it ultimately becomes a topic, and when I, we can include injured or just simply people who are of general uh, population, just trying to be healthier over time versus those who are training for a specific sport. It ultimately becomes a discussion about training what is comfortable, moving in a way that is most comfortable versus training in a way that is most specific for one sport. So I'll, I'll turn it over, Kyle, to you and just maybe start with the question of when an athlete comes to you and says, what technique is right for this squat? What goes through your head? 
in this evaluation of who this person is and what their goals are. A regular athlete or someone who's experiencing? Let's start with a, 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 someone who's experiencing pain and they want to ask what an appropriate squat technique is. Uh, well, first I would probably check how they're currently squatting just to see how that looks. Uh, and then some things I look for is just maybe because how they're currently squatting is causing because it's causing pain. Um, I'll just look at how their squat, uh, how they're moving in general. So are they going all the way down full range of motion? Uh, is there any excessive, um, like maybe rounding in the upper back? Uh, are they having pressure on their midfoot, um, versus in too much in the heels or too much in the toes? Uh, and just like how um, good their mobility is in general. So are they super upright? Are they leaning over? Oh, and then, of course, what kind of squat they're doing or what kind of squat they have pain in. So either a front squat, low bar squat, high bar squat. <clears throat> and then from there, um, I would see, is there maybe a different stance width that doesn't cause pain? Um, uh, or again, let's say they're experiencing pain in the high bar squat. Well, does low bar squat cause pain? Does a front bar, uh, a front squat cause pain? Uh, and then after checking all those things, then we'd probably dive into like volume. Um, uh, what were they doing in the past? What are they currently doing? Um, I look into their history. What sports did they play growing up? Did they play sports growing up? Um, and then I would also look at uh, intensity levels. And this also gets a little bit into the biofeedback uh, area, but um, are they experiencing pains uh, at 70% of their 1RM, but not at 65% of their 1RM? Uh, just kind of looking at intensity levels there. And that kind of integrates plan too, right? If you yeah. have a structured plan, you can easily figure out, not easily, but you have a, a roadmap like Sobo, you said, as for where these problems may have started and, and why they occurred in the first place. But I, I like what you said in terms of mechanics You're Rather than just throwing up your arms and saying no squats, you're trying to evaluate specifically with what type of squat they're having pain, what their mechanics looked like in the past before introducing a new type of mechanic and ultimately trying to find a, a foundational technique that feels good. And then, and then, you know, just like with a squat in general, also it's like maybe we just take the squat away from a while, a while cause you like, it's not a requirement to squat, uh, unless it's like specific for your sport. So if you're a power lifter, we'd want to get back to that, but Again, if we're just talking about like kind of what this podcast is for, sustainable training, you know, like how can we train for the next 50, 60 years for um, not your, you know, top elite level athletes, just your average gym goer or not average, maybe above average gym goer. Um, squatting is not a requirement. So can we take that away? Uh, maybe do other, you know, leg movements that don't cause pain. Yeah. And if someone's squat looks different than someone else's squat, you maybe see an Instagram video of a really deep squat and you're trying to figure out why the one you're forcing is hurting and you don't really have the mobility or requisite strength or experience that the person on Instagram has, maybe we can find something that works for you uh, that is comfortable, that allows you to improve over time with, and that we may actually be understanding that you know the technique might change, the stance width might change, uh, depth may change over time, but ultimately we don't want to force anything and we just want to make sure that you are trending in the positive direction over time out of pain. Uh, on the specific side of things, Sobo, do you mind speaking a little bit towards why it's important, say, if you are a power lifter, 
to train a specific technique that would be important for your sport, maybe just speak a little bit more to specificity at large uh, rather than these more general principles of moving comfortably within a, a range of motion that feels well. Yeah, so speaking on that, you know, Zach mentioned some things. If you aren't required in your sport to squat and it's something that inhibits you or causes pain, we, there's other ways around that, and that's kind of what sustainable training does is it figures out can we still move the hip? Can we have a hip hinge and a knee bend like we'd see in a squat in another movement? In sports like powerlifting or CrossFit or, or other sports that require you, Olympic lifting, to require for you to do that squat movement, you're going to have to train it, and you're going to have to train it in the same realm or the same motion that you normally would perform it in a competition. So if you were doing a powerlifting competition and it requires you to squat, you're going to have to set yourself up with the squat position you're going to, and that's going to depend on your, your biomechanics and your anatomical structure. Some people can't squat with a narrow stance. Some people have to go wide. And understanding when you go wide, it's going to put more stress on the hips. Narrow stance are going to put more stress on the knee. And that's all going to depend on your anatomical structure. But if you are required to squat, in all reality, in order to get better at the movement, you're going to have to do it. And I know there's trains of thoughts out there, Louis Simmons in particular, who loves to squat to a box. And everybody says, oh, he can squat to a box and he you know, sets you know, powerlifting records all over the place and his, his group does that. But they also squat with, you know, multiple ply squat suits that, you know, slingshot you out of the bottom part of the squat. So they only really need to change, train the top half because that's where the squat suit doesn't benefit them. So if you are a natural raw squatter, you're going to have to squat to parallel or to competition standard with the weight on your back. And you're going to have to do that multiple times in training to get the feel for it. You, if you squat to a box and you don't go that specificity of the depth and you squat to a box for six weeks and you go into a competition and you squat to parallel, you aren't going to be strong in that range of motion because you haven't trained that specificity of range of motion. So for sports or for competitions that require squatting to a certain depth or to a certain you know angle, you have to hit that angle in training for it to work. If you are not, if you are just trying to be a general health person, there's all sorts of ways around it. You can do hack squats, you can do full squats, you can do single leg squats. But if it's specificity, if you want to get better at a movement, you you have to do that movement. And there's no questions about that. It is proven training specificity is a, a task in a neurological component that has been proven inside and out through science. So in order to say, oh, I... I can squat once a week and I want to be a big power lifter, unless you're squatting to depth, the appropriate depth for this squat, then you aren't training the right movement for yeah, your And sport. I think this, this topic can, of course, extend to any other type of, of exercise if we consider the deadlift. And let's just say you have uh, someone who is 50 years old and they are general population and they're trying to get into weight training and they're deadlifting, and they have a pretty rounded, kyphotic posture. It's hard for them to set up in front of a, a conventional barbell. Even changing the stance width is challenging. Well, you can also change the implement. You could use a trap bar. You could also change the exercise height. They might pull from a riser. 
But what we're getting at is that as long as we're considering the major muscle groups involved, we don't want to force any type of motion for general population people, right? If, if they're training for a specific sport, you do what you need to get into those specific positions, especially as you're nearing competition. But we've found, and just hearing from others, that there is this dissonance between an individual's goals and what's available to them or where they seek information. So if your goal is to feel healthy and train four days a week, but also still uh, live an active life, you may even have an active physically demanding job, yet you're following uh, someone who's educating their audience on how to maximize a weightlifting uh, uh, squat or a weightlifting journey or a powerlifting journey, then you might be following the wrong plan. It's just what's available to you. So you might not have to squat two days a week. You might not have to squat three days a week. One might work instead. So if you think about it as simply as taking it all in moderation, if squatting four days a week is causing you pain, then maybe we just drop it down so that you produce the minimum effect to get better, maybe get a little bit sore, but feel good over time. And that's what this podcast will be entirely about. It's going to be about taking your questions that pertain and will help the rest of the 99%, meaning those who aren't training for Olympic teams, those who aren't looking to make it to the CrossFit Games, though that audience might still learn a thing or two, and better be able to construct a plan of their own or understand the bigger picture and put things together. Uh, on, on their own as well. Ultimately, we believe that having a coach is the best way to go, though that may not be in the cards for everyone. So we just want to make sure that you are all training safely, training, feeling good and restored over time. Not that training shouldn't uh, feel challenging. It ought to, but we don't want it to feel like it's beating you down all the time. If training beats you down all the time, you simply will stop having adaptations. Uh, in fact, anything thereafter will probably just lead to you getting weaker or getting injured. So Sobo, if you can speak a little bit about the stress response with exercise and what that means for an appropriate progression, whether that's weight progression, uh, exercise selection, etc. You can just talk about basic stress response with exercise and why it may not be good to have hard exercise all the time. So there's a there's a theory in stress that our bodies respond to what we call like the inverted U. So if you could picture a, a U, um, on the left side of the U is absolutely no stress, um, and then in the middle there's there's enough stress, and then on the on the far right there's too much stress. So somewhere in our bodies, and everybody's unique, that there is a level of stress. And when I say stress, in our case, it will be you know training, not the emotional stress of of life, but the, the stress of training and at a certain point you have to stress your body to cause adaptation so if you want to get stronger you're going to have to stress your body in a way that produces strength if you understress it you will not see any growth you won't be in that peak of that inverted U or that hill if you will if you overstress it you will not see any adaptations either well either way so for everybody there's kind of this sweet spot of training where you apply enough stress to your body 
and you see adaptations. And over time, and as you get more and more experienced, you can probably handle more and more stress, and that U gets a little bigger and a little, you know, steeper. But, you know, the last thing, and I know Zach hit on it, but if you're training and you're, you know, squatting four days a week and you can't walk to work and your back hurts, I mean, training is supposed to keep you healthy. Sustainable training is to improve your health, not make your make you hurt. So if you are overstressing your system, you are hurting your your muscles, you're hurting your joints, and that's not what it's all about. We want to find that optimal stress that's going to cause adaptations. And you know, you you might hear catchphrases out there about super adaptations or overload. You know, overload is just putting stress on your system just enough to cause adaptation. And some people may say, "Well, you super overload." Well, unless you are training as an elite athlete, a super overload is where you're going above and beyond your load. And for most of us, that is where injuries could occur. That is where you're you're peaking. And unless you're peaking for a CrossFit event or you know junior nationals or something, you know very often overreaching or overloading, super overloading, is not what a, a you know an average everyday person needs. We just need enough of that stress to cause adaptation, and then once we adapt. We adapt to it. We just add a little bit more stress, and then we adapt again. And that's the kind of the cycle you have to keep playing with. So anything more or less than that is not going to be optimal for sustainable so, training. This is a, going back a little bit to the uh, specificity we're talking about, but the what you were just saying right there, Sobo actually talks to it as well. But for most individuals, don't you think that they can actually spend a lot of time uh, being more of like a generalist or less specific. So many times you see, and maybe this is more like power lifters or weight lifters, they'll choose these programs that, um, either the, uh, like people going to nationals or, you know, they're like the top end power lifters and stuff like that. They'll see what they're doing. And then those guys will write a program. And then that's the, where, where the general population is. They end up doing this like super specific program, specific powerlifting or weightlifting or any sport. Uh, but for most individuals, they can actually spend a lot more time being more of a general generalist within the within a structured plan. And then as they get closer to maybe some sort of competition, then that's when they can start to choose maybe these more specific plans. Um, as opposed to doing it year in, year in and year out. Like they can actually be a lot more general uh, across like all of their training. And then Yeah, I I that's a great point. I mean for most of us, the 99% that we talk about on this, this podcast, generalist is what we want to be. I mean, yeah, it's great to be a deadlifter or a powerlifter and deadlift 1,000 pounds, but, you know, those people also can't run a mile. You know, and you got to be a generalist for overall health if you're a father or a mother or, you know, training for, you know, a 5K if you want to run a 5K or whatever happens. If, if you're strong overall, if you can – you know, press moderate heavy weight overhead and put moderately heavy weight on your back and squat it and, you know, do a bench press with, you know, moderate weight. I mean, that's what your goal is. And then if you can do that and you want to do a powerlifting competition, just like you said, Kyle, we can just shift the programming to that. So you are still generally strong, um, but now you just put a little bit more focus on powerlifting movements or Olympic movements. Because last thing you want to do is, is, be super specific. Human beings have survived millennia for being generalists. We're not the strongest animal in the world. We're not 
the fastest animal in the world. We're not the most skilled animal in the world, but we have a little bit of everything. We can run, we can jump, we can climb. Um, and that's kind of our survival technique. So if, for you to try to be the strongest, you're going to have to totally forget everything else. You, your endurance, your all that stuff is going to suffer if you decide to become a so super this, specialized. On a surface level may sound like CrossFit. Uh, this whole better than the specialist by being generalist type idea, which is not what we're saying, but um, we want to just talk for a second about how while CrossFit has greatly impacted the field at large, this is different than CrossFit and especially uh, you know your everyday CrossFit Metcon uh, in, in a handful of ways. If you have the privilege to go to a gym where they have a structure, you follow a type of cycle that might be a cycle of strength, focusing on one particular lift. That's better than uh, having no cycle at all, no plan at all. You might uh, see the same thing for a gym, a CrossFit gym, trying to program towards improving a specific uh, endurance event or CrossFit benchmark. Though, as we mentioned, we want to make sure that training isn't hard all the time. And where CrossFit doesn't fit into our sustainable training model, at least a CrossFit program that involves Metcons every day, is that if you actually were pushing your body four time redlining five or four days a week, it'd probably be hard to keep up over the long haul. So our athletes who are CrossFitters compete in CrossFit competitions, perform CrossFit specific exercises, but there's variation, not just in their exercise selection, but also in their intensities. So just as uh, Sobo mentioned with the squat or a specific weightlifting or powerlifting program, if you super compensate the squat, you might have kickback, you might regress or get injured. Well, if you super compensate the intensity and it never changes, then you miss out on a whole lot of adaptations. So our, these adaptations might include things like low-intensity cardio for a longer duration, which falls into our sustainable training model. It allows you to feel fresh and recovered for the next day. It might also include having the time to slow things down and practice good technique and have good motor control and learning, so that if you're moving too quickly, you might not have time to practice good technique and replicate that technique over time. So without, of course, any offense to CrossFit, as we train many CrossFitters, we want to maybe plant in your head this thought of, is my CrossFit training sustainable? How do I feel with my CrossFit training? And can we help you if you follow a class, perhaps auto-regulate it? We spoke about biofeedback briefly. One type of biofeedback could be heart rate monitoring, anything that helps you know how hard you're going. Uh, it could be a particular style of range of motion testing that we'll dive into later as well. But maybe you go to CrossFit classes and you, and you love the, the group setting. Well, we can perhaps teach you and educate you as for how to monitor intensities. It may be uncomfortable at first because everyone else may be beating you in the wads, but it may help you be more sustainable over time while still getting the group class benefit. So if Sobo, you were to speak for just a second, and Kyle, I'd like to hear your thoughts too about what a sustainable CrossFit plan may look like. 
let's hear a little bit about that just to help separate this idea of sustainable training from what people may say is just CrossFit outright. Well, everything's CrossFit. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, Sobo, how, how, what, how does a, a sustainable plan might look like from a, for a CrossFitter you know, week to week or month to month? And maybe you can also talk about exercise selection too. Um, what might be appropriate for a given population in CrossFit and how that falls into the sustainable training model. So kind of what, what first popped into my mind was the regionals and the, the dip. Um, wow, we're going into that on the first show. Cool. On. I mean, <laughs> well, I'm just, well, we talk about people, you know, if, if you are strong in a movement, you have a strong, you know, pectoralis muscle and a strong, strong tricep, you don't need to hit those multiple times and, and kill them. Um, so with sustainable training, there comes a level of functional strength that we have to talk about as well. That, you know, there's a certain point at which you're strong and anything more you dedicate toward that, you get diminishing returns. If you train your muscle ups and you can do 20 in a row, how much more training do you have to do to get 21 in a row? And is that worth it? Is that extra one unbroken muscle up worth spending four hours a week doing muscle up training? You know, so it's kind of this idea of when you try to do sustainable training is, is it good enough that you can keep progressing and maybe if you spent eight hours a week doing muscle-ups, you could do 21 in a row. But maybe you do 15 in a row, but you don't have shoulder problems or you have time to work on some other things. So you have to take all that in consideration. So when you're doing a program and, you know, you might have a weakness of doing muscle-ups. Well, doing muscle-ups every day might make you better at doing muscle-ups every day. But at a certain point, now you've started overreaching and overtraining muscle-ups. So if you selectively program that in maybe you do it twice a week maybe you do movements that are similar like ring pull-ups or ring dips or something along those lines you can sustain that motion sustain that training for a long time and, and kind of our goal is we're not trying to go from 15 to 20 in three weeks we might go from 15 to 20 unbroken muscle ups in four months but we would also improve your muscle ups but we'll improve your snatch and your squat you know, we're not going to focus solely on a weakness where that weakness is going to be incorporated, but it's going to be incorporated in a way we can sustain the training to make that weakness a strength. And it, it, it's subtle nuances in training that helps you do that. A lot of people, you know, I suck at handstand walks, so let's me do handstand walks every day. Well, you do handstand walks after a bunch of heavy jerks one day and you're walking all of a sudden your shoulder, you know, slides and you hurt your shoulder. So that's the last thing we want to have you do because if you hurt your shoulder, now you're not lifting for two weeks because your shoulder hurts and now you're, you know. Yeah, what, what I was going to add there, um, and I think something you see a lot is like post-open, for example, uh, someone had a workout that they probably didn't do that well in. And let's just use muscle-ups as an example because uh, that's what you said, Sobo. Uh, post-open, they'll just all of a sudden do like – try to do as many muscle ups as I can every day. Cause like, I got to get better at muscle ups. Um, but you know, like far away from a comp, like if the open was your competition, like, and you want to develop fitness, just doing more muscle ups is not like 
the best way to develop your fitness. Like doing more simpler movements, like maybe just an assault bike sprint, uh, intervals type things like that, rower, running, um, simple like wall balls, burpees. I mean, those are probably the best ways to develop your fitness in terms of breathing really hard or being able to control your tempo, uh, not throwing muscle ups into a Metcon because you're not going to be able to go fast enough at that point uh, um, or controlled enough to really like develop those certain like cardiovascular areas uh, or strength too as well. And hopefully by now it's been made clear that you can really pursue any of these endeavors, training for the CrossFit Open, training for a weightlifting meet, training for a powerlifting meet, training for a marathon. These are all really great goals. Uh, They're just a lot of stupid ways to get there that have been made popular or may not be specific for you. So if you are part of a a group class or the next time you pull up a program online, uh, important questions to ask might be, well, who is this for? And if you don't know, you can maybe pose the question to us. If you have a coach in a CrossFit class, you could ask them if this is what you need most of now and what are appropriate ways to scale. Because faster, faster, and more and more weight is not always the answer. And if you're hearing that from your personal trainer, your CrossFit coach or weightlifting coach, you may want to think again about what their goals are. Are they trying to get you to a place at too fast a rate that might put you into that super overloaded state of injury? Um, Or are they acknowledging your goals and that you want to get better at something? It doesn't have to be tomorrow. And that they have a plan for you to get better at that over time. And that might be a hard conversation to have, but we believe that there are good enough coaches out there who can help you and ought to help you uh, personalize things if it's in a group setting. And if you are uh, following a program that a coach has laid out for you to make sure that it's your program towards your goals, not the coach's program or template for everyone else or for the elite. So I believe that kind of wraps it up for our intro session, and I'll just turn it over to these guys for any closing thoughts, but you'll be able to drop any questions on the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, or even just via email, which we'll leave in the show notes. What are, what is our Instagram? The Instagram is at strength ratio. I don't even know if you have to put the at sign. You just type in strength ratio. Type in strength ratio. You'll find strength ratio on Facebook. And like I said, the website and emails that you need will be linked in the show notes. So uh, any closing remarks, you guys? Did we sound fancy enough? I don't know. We still have to we... figure out how to delete the personal cell phone notification from all the dings that have been happening in this first podcast. So we apologize for that. Zach's um, a busy man. What I, what I would like to add here at the end was as, as, as a viewer – with listening to multiple podcasts, and hopefully this isn't the only podcast you listen to and you know listen to all sorts of different ones. There, there are experts all across the country in their specific areas. And we're, we're going to be the, the generalists of it all. It's kind of our goal. And with that, we'll talk about some complex things. Um, there's more than one way to skin a cat, as the old saying goes. There's more than one way to train. There are people who are very good at what they do and may have very different views and opinions than us. It doesn't make us right or them wrong. 
um, diving into the literature of how to get bigger, faster, stronger, there are still many, many topics that are unproven or have been proven right by one research group and wrong by another. Um, there are huge different views of thought on how to train, when to train, what to train. Um, we're going to help you figure out and sift through that garbage and speak to you as somebody who just wants to be better and train overall. That's kind of our goal. We're not going to beat a certain method into your head, which I think a lot of people do. Um, we're going to figure out what's best for you because it's not what's sustainable for Zach or for Kyle or for me. It's what is a sustainable training program for you yeah. as a listener. And sincere. Yeah. If, if Sobo, you had to uh, give any advice uh, for how to perhaps synthesize information that's out there or how to look out for red flags, what might be a way that people can begin to identify those? Like maybe types of language that people use or uh, what citations or, or reputable sources they may come from. Do you have any advice there? So my first advice would be context. Always look at it in the context that they're speaking for. A lot of the research you're going to see is done with college age males and females because most research is done at universities and that is the most available source of you know research subjects is college age males or college age females. You're not going to see it in elite populations and very often they're under trained or not trained at all. That's kind of the populations you'll see. Um, so that's kind of a thing is, does this work for me? I've been training for four years and this study said that if I train three by eight, I will increase my muscle mass. Well, the study was done with, you know, 22 recreationally trained people who've never done squats in their life. Of course, they're going to see adaptations that you're not going to see. Um, second, I would be wary of significance. Significance does not mean it works. Creatine, um, you know, what I've done my dissertation on only works for about 30% of the population. So it is significant. 30% of the population is significant, but you may not be that 30%. So only one in 3%, only one in three people creatine works for. So you got to be wary of stuff like that because we are all individualistic. We all have different things. If you get 12 hours of sleep and have the right diet, yes, this will work for you because a lot of these studies are controlled. They control for everything and then they can eliminate all these external variables and figure out this program works. Well, you're not just doing bicep curls in your program. It might be three other things, but they might only be doing bicep curls in the study. So you have to take it extremely in context. When you read or listen to podcasts or read research articles, who are they talking about? What is it talking about? And is that even relatable to you? We're not all bodybuilders. We're not all, you know, professional athletes. So if it's done on them, you're not going to get 12 hours of sleep. You have a nine to five job or work 60 hours a week. You're not going to be able to get the rest. So you have to take everything in that context. Will hopefully That's my big thing. Help people ask the question, well, what is it that I'm really looking for in my fitness program? Maybe that's different than what they've been chasing. So before next week, you'll come into the, uh, podcast two with a more honest evaluation of what your goals are. Uh, understanding that those goals may change over time, but regardless, this is a plan that can help you towards any endeavor. 
And moving forward, we'll make sure to have that notification ding turned off. In fact, we have just silenced the many dings that have come in, so we do apologize for that. And we appreciate your patience as we are all new to this. Um, but any feedback you have, just send our way. We'd love to hear it along with your questions. Thanks, guys, and thanks for tuning in.